John, and we're going to go to John chapter 8. I don't know if this is particularly linked to any series that I'm doing. Uh, Last week, I started just talking a little bit about just dealing with people, and it's so important that we learn how to do this. Um, You know, based on our background, where we come from, you know, our church background, how they teach us, it really has a lot to do with how we operate with people, how we see them where they are, how we help them. And as I'm, as I'm pastoring the church and as I'm looking at how I want to develop the way our philosophy runs as, as a congregation, as a, as a family here, um, I want to be careful that, that we just treat each other right. I think that's the biggest thing. We just got to treat each other right. And when somebody does wrong, uh, we need to treat them right in the wrong. <laughs> Amen. That's so important. Uh, we can't be treating them wrong in, the, in their wrong. Uh, we always got to be right no matter what. And, and I, I was thinking about this because I, I was a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago probably, this passage just hit my attention. And I never really, I didn't give a lot of attention to it. I think I may have mentioned it. In one of my sermons, maybe last week, Sunday, I'm not exactly sure where, but I've been thinking about it and just pondering on this particular account of uh, Jesus and dealing with the Pharisees and the adulterous woman. And it, to me, there, it's kind of, uh, you really got to think through it because in one way, uh, there's sin, but in another way, the Lord, the way he operates in it is just totally unexpected. Uh, totally unexpected. And uh, in order to actually grasp what he did, I, I have to really think through this. Like, what, you know, uh, how did, why did he handle it the way he did, <laughs> you know? And so I, I just started going through the passage and started looking at words and defining things and just trying to figure out what it is the Lord is trying to tell us with this passage. Because there's a message here. There's a message here that he has for his church, that he has for us. And I think it's going to help us in the way we look at problems in the church, the way we look at people, even, even in sin or caught in sin, uh, you know, having problems, whatever it is. Uh, I think this will help us just have a right heart and a right attitude as we deal with people. And that's really what I want. And so John chapter 8, uh, verse number 1. Now, maybe I'll give you a couple of uh, uh, foundational or, or introductory verses here before we get at this. Jesus at this point, he was, he was preaching in the temple, and it was directly after the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of the Tabernacles means that there's people that have come from all around uh, went to Jerusalem, and this is where they've come to worship. Like three times a year, the Jews were required to come to that temple, and this was one of those times. And it was over, but Jesus Christ was, was capitalizing on all these pilgrims that were still there from different parts of the world. And so he's out there in the temple and he's preaching and teaching and trying to help them understand the truths of the kingdom of God. And um, the people came to listen to him. He was situated by the treasury. And the treasury was actually in the court of the women. So here he's sitting in the court of the women, preaching to the people. And that's where this account takes place. So in John chapter 8, I'll I'll just give you these scriptures in Luke 21, verse 37. And the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him. Then in John 8, verse 20, in our passage a little bit further up, it says, These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his his hour was not yet come. Now, if you go to verse number one, it says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the, in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down 
and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. This, my friend, it just blows me away. This blows me away. He would not do well in most Baptist churches. <laughs> you know, he would not do well. And I think we need to understand that there is something here that he's wanting us to see uh, in his heart in how that he wants us to be as a local body, as a church, how he wants to deal us to deal with sin and so forth. Um, I've kind of called this message, Where Are Your Accusers? Where are your accusers? First point I want to just bring out here is the motive in dealing with sin. We must, must never use the sin of others to gain something. Never use the sin of others to gain something. Amen. That's what we saw these guys doing. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, and then they went on to say, they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. So they took her in adultery. Taken. We know that word taken. I think there was a message I did. I was looking at, I think it was on the Sunday morning. I was talking about pressing toward the mark apprehended. It's actually the same word. It means to apprehend or attain. So what they did is they seized upon her and took her in the act of adultery. Now, the religious apprehended this woman to accuse Jesus. Not the woman. <laughs> think about this. They took her not to accuse her, even though that was what they were saying, but they took her to accuse Jesus, not her. Wow. Many times when someone sins or is accused of sin, the accusations are more about hurting the person or hurting some other person or proving a point than really what the Lord is wanting us to do with that person. Very few times when I hear people dealing with people's sin, are their motives really right? That's a terrible thing. But that is a problem we have today as Christians. I think it's many times because of our own insecurities. <laughs> we know that we are sinners. We know that we have done wrong. And so sometimes when we find somebody that's done really wrong, we say, oh, look at that person, how wrong they've done. <laughs> and we use them as a scapegoat for our own wrong. <laughs> Never should your accusations be based upon you getting gain from somebody. Never. Never. Never, never. And so before you deal with a sin in a person's life, you need to make sure that your motives are right. They're right. The Pharisees were very wrong. And they paid dearly, I'm sure, ultimately for it. But that was their heart. It's interesting that they did not have the man present. <laughs> if they were caught in the act, as they said, then the law tells them to stone the adulterer and the adulteress. But you don't see the adulterer. Now, I don't know what that means. I still believe she was guilty. <laughs> but I don't know why he wasn't there. Because it didn't fit their plan. It's not what, this isn't really what we want to do here in the court of women with Jesus teaching here. 
<laughs> Their motives were whacked. They really were whacked. The only motive that the Lord gives us to dealing with, with sin is love. Over and over and over again. Think about that. But how many times dealing with sin is it about love for us? <laughs> when our children do wrong, while well, we get angry, uh, sometimes we get angry because, well, you've done wrong. <laughs> well, okay, they've done wrong, but why are you disciplining them? The Bible says he, he chastens those that he loves. And you go on to see in that passage, it talks about how that the chastising actually brings forth the peaceable fruits of, of righteousness. It talks about a change in their life based upon the, the discipline that they get. So it was about loving them. The Lord always disciplines us because he loves us. There's some interesting verses that I found. In Proverbs 17, verse 9, it says, He that covereth the transgression seeketh love. And it's not talking about your own necessarily. It's not talking about you trying to hide your sin in the basement or whatever. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about when someone else does wrong, your first response isn't to openly accuse and to spread that sin to other people. Because love is your motive. It says, he that covereth the transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. That's not love. <laughs> Amen. That's not love when we're dividing. In fact, the Bible says we're supposed to shun those that divide in the, in the assembly of God. We're supposed to stay away from the, those that are causing division among us, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. Amen. It says in Proverbs 10, verse 12, hatred stirreth up strifes. So if there's a situation where sin has taken place and from that sin comes strife, hatred is present. Hatred is present. But then it goes on to say, but love covereth all sins. Amen? Hatred, love. And so we need to analyze ourselves if there is strife in the situation that you're dealing with, then there's hatred within that, within that interaction. And that's a serious thing. And so you have to evaluate that. Now, you may not be the one that's hating. Sometimes it is that you love a person, you go to them in the spirit of love, and they will hate you. The Bible says you reprove a scorner, and they will bring you shame. So you can go to them in love. You can go there to keep them from hurting others or hurting themselves. And you can do that with sincere motive. And what will happen is they will turn on you and look for a weakness to use against you and exploit that to hurt you. That's called a scorner. A scorner is a very dangerous person, very dangerous to the house of God. There ought never be a scorner in our membership. If there is, we need to get, up, get them out <laughs> very quickly, amen, because they will divide the church. And the weak brothers and sisters will be hurt. Maybe not the strong ones that know the truth and know how to handle these kind of things, but even them, they will hurt through it. I don't think you can ever be, folks, I still hurt all the time for people. And if they say something mean, I still hurt. <laughs> you know, I wish I could get like a, 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 you know, a steel skin here that no matter what happens, I could, I could just roll it off. But you know, I, I think that that's, there's something wrong with a person's brain <laughs> that can do that. Because you need to feel pain. And it keeps you from doing stupid things. When I feel pain over what people do to me, then I know I'm never going to do that to someone else. And if you don't feel pain what people do to you, I'll guarantee you, you're doing something crazy to somebody else. And you don't even realize it. Amen? Another passage we have here is 1 Peter 4, verse 8. It says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Amen? So there we have it again, dealing with sin. Love is the motive. It's always the motive. It's always the motive. Throughout the scriptures, and, and we'll see it again, in, in the, uh, the epistle of James, it says in ver chapter 5, verse 20, 
talking about someone that's helping somebody, it says, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. A person that helps convert somebody is a person that is concerned about covering that person and protecting them. That's a motive of love. Amen. The proper motive is to deal with sin. And it's to deal with it to save those that are affected by it. Now you can have one person and that one person can sin and that sin is going to hurt them but there's also people around them that will be hurt. And so your motive in, in helping that person is not for you. It's not because you're mad. It's not because, well, I'm going to be show everybody how I'm a good Baptist. or you know. Your complete motive is, I want to help this person. Now, if, you're, if that's not your motive, then you've got no right ever dealing with anybody and their sin. You get that. If you cannot catch that and you don't want, do not want that, <laughs> you've got no business talking to anybody about anything they've done. You need to turn around and walk away because you will hurt that person. And you may destroy that person. But love protects. It's a, it's a covering. It's a, it's a guard around the whole situation. And that'll only happen if we love people. If you don't love them, you are going to lose your desire to protect them. You understand that? Many of you, you have children. You have family members. If I were to say, come protect my family, and then you found out that your family needs protecting, you would say, you know, pastor, I appreciate being over here to help your family, but you know what, I'm gonna, I, I got to go protect my family, <laughs> amen, because that's where my lo true love is, to protect my home, and I need to be there. And so you go there to protect them. See, love directs you that way. If you don't love them, you will probably, instead of helping them, you'll probably hurt them. You'll probably accentuate their sin. You'll probably make it worse than it is. You might even exaggerate what that person does. Because love is not the motive. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6, it says your glorying is not good. Talking about a, a sin problem in the church here. It says, know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now, there's a lot of people when I deal with them, they look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> they don't think that I'm serious. When the little sin that I see forming that I'm concerned about it. Well, you're just overreacting. Well, no, it's just because <laughs> I love the church very much. <laughs> you know, because I love the church so much. My, my inner desire to protect the church is far greater than yours. Think about that. Now, there may be someone here who loves it as much or more than me. But all I know is if you do, you yourself will also desire greatly to protect the house of God. Amen. But all I know is if you hate it, you'll be a divider. Think about this, folks. When people in this assembly start dividing the assembly, they hate you. Now they won't say that. <laughs> oh, I love you. <laughs> no. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed. And in truth is what the Bible says. And that's right on the heels of a verse that talks about how Jesus gave his life for us, showing his love toward us by sacrificing himself. Amen? Not just talk, <laughs> tongue. This thing can do anything. You can make it say whatever you want. I mean, it can be such a deceitful thing. But I know one thing that can never be counterfeited and that is a true love in action in the house of God. 
It just really cannot be counterfeited. We will know if you love. Amen. We will know if you care. And so we know that in this passage, it says that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And so what we're concerned about as, as Christians is when that little leaven appears, immediately our, our um, Christian instinct kicks in of protecting and helping and saving, not exploiting, not hurting, not destroying, but protecting. And I say to people, if you don't love this church, then don't deal with the people in the church because you will hurt it. You understand what I'm saying here? (laughs) See, a preacher, that is just way, way too far. Really? (laughs) I don't think so. I really don't think so. I think that I'm probably not emphasizing it strong enough in what I just said. Amen? It says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, tying the way that we perceive people around us, sincerity and truth, and the way we act with the sacrifice of Christ and giving his body on the cross of Calvary. Because he gave himself for us. Amen? It's an infection. That infection can spread in the home. How many of you, if you have a child, that would have maybe an infection that would be uh, contagious? Wouldn't do what you could to, number one, help the child that's sick to be better, but number two, to protect the rest of the kids from getting that same infection. There's two things. Dealing with the sick person and dealing with those that could get sick. Right? That's what we do. That's how we help people. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 11, It says, but now have I written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother, that means saved. It says called, it doesn't mean you are one, you know. So there's someone in the church. We brought them into the membership. They say, I'm a brother, I'm a brother. But they do these things. This is what he says. The man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or railer or drunkard or extortioner with such an one Know not to eat. What does it mean, know not to eat? <laughs> that means don't go and fellowship with them. Well, that's just me. No, that's love. That's love. There has to be a time where you divide so that you can help that person and help the church. I know it's not popular, but it's very scriptural. Amen? A fornicator is sexual sin. And uh, it's surprising sometimes when I meet some Christians how they'll fellowship with people that are actually living in immorality. They'll go over to their house and, oh, well, they're just shacked up. You don't do that. <laughs> you don't do that. That's not what a Christian does. Now, you may go over there to witness to them. You may even go over there to give them some truth, but this isn't just to go have a barbecue and let's have a good time together and, and start connecting. Amen? We have to be careful. Sexual sin, also pornography is a fornicator. You know someone's hooked on pornography, you don't go fellowship with them. So, well, that's hatred. No, it's not, it's love. <laughs> because a little leaven will leaven the whole lump, and so you're protecting the body. You're also protecting them. You're helping them see that this isn't right. And we can't, we can't be a part of that. Amen? I'm not saying you run around everywhere and yell it from the rooftop. I'm saying you need to deal with it personally. You need to protect people and yourself from that kind of influence. Covetousness is greed for possessions and money. That's, that's something that you would break off fellowship with someone with. Idolater, something becoming your God other than God. <laughs> Even John said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. <laughs> After he wrote you know, five chapters to God's people, Deep truths of God. And the last thing he says, keep yourselves from idols. I'm just like, what? Because <laughs> he knew that we had idols. He knew the danger was to put something in front of God in our life. 
money, career, even family, jobs, whatever, must always push towards having God as God in our life. Amen. He will dictate. He will tell me where to go. He will tell me what to be. He will tell me how to act. He's going to tell me how to talk and how to fellowship. And all those things are God's business. Amen. A railer. A railer is reviling somebody. Or being abusive. So we can't allow railing. So when someone's railing, they're not right with God. And you got to be careful here. Like, Many times what happens is we get kind of taken in by the railing itself. So the railing happens, and so what we begin to do is give ear to the railing. (laughs) Can I tell you that when you hear railing, you immediately go away. Immediately you go away. Now railing is an insult. It's a harsh insult on somebody. And we ought not do that. (laughs) Reviling somebody. Oh, I hate that guy. He's just no good. You don't just say, oh, really? Why not? Why is he no good? Well, let me tell you how he's no good. And you're just kind of, you're being poisoned. You don't listen to railers. Oh, how many families would have been saved? How many personal lives would have been salvaged if they wouldn't have listened to railing? Then there's a drunkard. Really, I was looking at different uh, definitions. The one I found is tipsy. (laughs) Tipsy. There's one definition called tipsy. What that means is not sober. When people are not sober, they, they, they allow their minds to be manipulated by some substance, some, some controlling substance in their life where they cannot think clearly. Those kind of things are not allowed in the church. And they should not be allowed in your personal life. You need to make a decision. I will not fellowship with someone that is a drunkard. Unless I'm going over there to win them to Christ. Amen. Not to fellowship. Not to bring my kids. Not to bring my wife. Not to say, hey, let's have a party. Let's have a barbecue. Not those things. <laughs> we love them and we'll try to help them. But we cannot open the doorway for that poison to enter into our lives. And that's why you have to keep it away. Not because you're, not because you're condemning them. Do you understand? This is what we need to understand with this passage. This isn't condemnation. This is protection. Is all it is. When you deal with someone's sin, it's not about condemning. It's about protecting. Think about it. It fits perfectly with what Jesus did here in this passage. Protecting. They were going to kill her. Did they need to kill her? Well, the law says kill her. And Jesus said there's no need to kill her. Because he knew her heart. Amen. Why kill her? Why kill her? What's the purpose in killing her? What's the purpose in condemning them? What purpose are you fulfilling in your condemnation? Well, I'm just trying to be a good Christian. You're not. A good Christian will love them. Amen. And love them enough to allow yourself to look bad to them by protecting yourself, your family, and your church from the sin that's been infected in them. Not condemning. Never. Drunkard. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, it says, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Soberness. That's why they go to the bars at night. That's why the parties happen at night. You don't see them. Well, unless it's really bad, they'll probably do it at lunch. You understand. But that's only because they've been doing it all night. And they don't want to stop. 
We're children of the day. Children of the day don't walk around drunk. It's only children of the night. Not sober. There's another one here, and this is an interesting one, extortioner. Extortioner. Rapacious. An extortioner is one that seizes upon. Someone that jumps on somebody. Someone that uses them for gain. Extortion. This is something that you can be disciplined in the church for. Extortion. Now the Bible says in Matthew 23, 25, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you have made clean the outside of the cup and of the platter. Oh, don't they look so proper? <laughs> Amen. But it says, but within, they're full of extortion and excess. See, extortion is not love. <laughs> extortion is taking her in adultery. Putting her hands on her to use her to accuse the Lord, to accuse someone else. That's extortion. Don't you ever do it. Now, other people may not catch it in a day like we live today. People don't even know what it is. <laughs> Amen. They won't even understand what you're doing. They'll say, oh, that doesn't look right. <laughs> it's extortion. And the Pharisees were full of extortion. They would do it all the time. They would use situations and lay upon people and, and take them and use them for their own gain and their own, uh, maybe own position. Maybe to make themselves look good to others. Whatever you gain from at the expense of someone else is an extortion. And that's what they were suffering from here. That's what this situation was all about. They didn't have the right motive. <laughs> so I'm saying this just simply to tell you, when you're dealing with people, be very careful why you're doing it. Because you could be revealing the, the dirtiness and filthiness of your own heart and what you do. So what we need to do is make sure when we're dealing with people, it's always in love and kindness. <laughs> Amen. I'm not saying, hey, sometimes with your kids, do you ever just get firm with them? Stop that. There's nothing wrong with that. Kids respond to that. When dad's eyes go like this, <laughs> immediately they stop. We used to do that. We were raising up our kids in church. My wife's on the piano. I'm, pre I'm behind the pulpit. I'm doing everything, announcing, song leading, everything from beginning to end when I was younger and more able to do it. <laughs> Amen. And my wife is playing on the piano and all of her kids are out there in the chairs. And all of a sudden they start with each other and we just kind of, <laughs> with our electric beaming eyes, and it kind of goes, <laughs> Amen. They say, well, that's pretty firm. <laughs> in other words, they said, they know that, uh oh, later on, Dad's going to deal with us because he gave us the bzzz. Amen. He gave us the eye. It's true. It's true. So it doesn't mean that you walk around, oh, let me hug you and stroke, stroke, stroke. That's not what it is. It's not what it is. It's being firm, but you're doing it because you love them. My kids, because I love them. Amen. And I want to protect. I want to protect the church. I want them to hear the preaching. I want to, all these kind of things. That's why you do these things. It's not for your own benefit. It's not because you want to look good. <laughs> In fact, that's what the Bible says sometimes, that we chasten our children, uh, you know, uh, for our own benefit. But that's not what the Lord ever does. He always does it for our benefit. Amen. Ultimately. So, number two, I want to look at how the consequence of sin is serious. It's serious. This is what they said. In verse 4, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now the Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? Now this is fact. This is fact. The woman was guilty of sin. Um, she was guilty of the sin she was accused of, according to the Old Testament law. There's no doubt that I believe this woman was, was uh, guilty. 
Because at the end, Jesus said to her, go and sin no more. So he knew that she sinned. Now, where the man was, I don't know. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> maybe they dealt with him later. I have no idea. Maybe they used him. Maybe they planted him. Maybe he did that just to get her in trouble so they could just trip up Jesus. Now, that would be a whack motive. I wouldn't put it past Pharisees. Leviticus 20, verse 10. And the man that committed adultery with another man's wife, even he that committed adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. That's in the book of Leviticus. The law is clear in the Old Testament for Israel. They would put adulterers to death. I mean, in Canada, we don't do that. This was showing God's hatred for sin. And this was showing us what the payment of sin looks like. It was all teaching us something. The New Testament, well, today we'd have people saying, oh, you know, but we're not in the Old Testament law. Praise the Lord. I'm saying, okay, really? Is it, is it less today than it was in the Old Testament? Is it, are we loosened today as opposed to the Old Testament? No, in fact, we're tightened. The scriptures are clear. The Bible tells us in Matthew 5, verse 27, it says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's Old Testament. But I say unto you, the Jesus Christ, creator of the world, the one that gives you your breath, this is what he says, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her in, already in his heart. Now, does that look like a loosening up of the standard? <laughs> it's a tightening up. Well, we look, okay, you're tightening it up. That means we all need to die. <laughs> Should we all be stoned to death? Well, no, what it's saying is that the stoning was always, there was always a purpose for it in the Old Testament. And he's saying, I'm not going to stone you now for this. In fact, what I want to do is lift the condemnation. What he's showing us in this passage is, you are all guilty in your actions, but for sure in your thoughts. <laughs> Amen. So those of us that have let, oh, I don't commit adultery. <laughs> oh, the Lord says, let me look at that little brain of yours. Then immediately say, oh, I'm guilty, Lord. Oh, so that puts you in a position where you're just like them. The Lord is telling you you're just like them. Is that not what it's saying? So now the next time you see somebody sin in a public way, I'm sure we deal with the public sin because it has a public effect and we got to protect people from these type of sins. A private sin in your heart uh, doesn't have a public, not yet anyways, but it may begin there, usually does, in your heart somewhere. But you can't, judge the heart and you can't judge what's going on in a person's mind amen but the lord knows he's just saying don't go and look down on that person that has committed it by action knowing that you yourself are doing it in your heart amen now that changes something doesn't it doesn't it change how you look at people doesn't it change how you deal with the situation? Because it's no longer about condemnation. Because if it was about condemnation, then I'd have to first condemn myself. If it's about throwing stones, then I have to be the one to be stoned first. <laughs> Amen. So all I know is, whatever the Lord is teaching us here, he's telling us it's no longer about throwing stones. Now what we're doing is not throwing stones because someone's guilty, because we've all come to the point where we understand that we're all guilty. But now what we do is we love and protect. Do you understand what I'm saying? Love and protection has a way of, of dealing with people that condemnation does not. Condemnation is when people will come and attack you because of what you've done. And all they'll do is put you down. They'll call you a dirty dog. They'll say, you're a filthy pig, you're whatever. And they'll just condemn you and they'll just accuse you. And, and in that, the Lord says, you are wrong. You are wrong. 
And that's what the Lord is teaching us here in this passage. And so let's look at the contemplation of sin. And I know our time is moving on here. Jesus did not get caught up in the urgency of the Pharisees. (laughs) This is so interesting. Look at verse number six. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. (laughs) I like that. I mean, he is cool, cool as a cucumber. Amen. The Pharisees demanded judgment. Judgment! Judgment! These are bad people here! The Lord doesn't even look at him. Just stoops down. <laughs> starts playing in the dirt. James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So whatever these guys are doing, it's not going to be the right thing. The righteousness, the right thing. Because it's wrathful. It's urgent. It's now. Give me an answer. Give me an answer. Give me an answer. In fact, they continue to bug him while he just stooped down and rode in the dirt. They came with great force with this woman. They, they took her. They apprehended her. They seized her and brought her to Jesus and demanded an answer for how they ought to deal with this woman because they wanted to accuse him. And many times people will also react to what they hear by judging the person harshly. Do you understand how this helps us today? You hear somebody say something. You know what you need to do? Turn around, stoop down. Start playing in the dirt. Now they'll look at you. Come on, aren't you acknowledging what I'm saying? And you ignore them. And you continue writing in the dirt. Jesus did not rise up. Jesus didn't take that finger and says, Oh, you woman! He stooped down. In fact, the definition of that is bow. He bowed down. And he took that finger instead of pointing it at her, he just pointed it at the dirt. I think he was saying, this is what you guys are. <laughs> he, probably, he probably just said, this is you. Dirt, criticizing dirt for being dirt. <laughs> Jesus showed us that we must study to be quiet, take time assessing any accusations. Jesus did not allow himself to get worked up about the woman's sin. He did not rise up. He stooped down. I'm sure these men didn't understand why Jesus did not jump on their bandwagon. Because most people do. You start saying stuff like that. Oh, really? We turn to big apes. (laughs) We do. Just need to take a banana and just plug that thing. (laughs) Oh my, where does this come from? It must be in my genes or something, I don't know. Oh, it's good to take time and sincerely judge our motives for dealing with, did it really look like an ape? Did I do a good job? No. If you don't have a pure motive, you shouldn't deal with that person. Next thing I want to look at is just simply honest evaluation of our hearts. Honest evaluation. If we honestly evaluate our own hearts, we would find that we've all sinned as the one we're accusing. We would find in an honest evaluation how that person were just as guilty as them. (laughs) That's what Jesus proved to these guys. In John 8, verse 7, this is what it says. When they continued asking him, Jesus, Jesus, it's like a kid, Dad, Dad. Dad, 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 or more like mom, mom, mom. <laughs> Mom's just, oh, is somebody touching me? <laughs> we know how to zone that out as parents, amen? That's what these Pharisees were. Jesus, 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 come on, look. Get up, man, listen to us. 
Continue, continue, continue. Then he lifted himself up, said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. (laughs) They wanted to answer. They wanted Jesus to jump on the condemnation train with them, but he wouldn't. If someone could condemn, Christ had the right. He had the right that day. He could have and been right. But in John 5, verse 22, it says, For the Father judgeth no man's, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. That all men should honor the Son, and even as they honor the Father, he that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So, Jesus has all judgment committed to him, where he could judge. But his very act of giving himself for us on the cross has now removed us from condemnation to life. So he has no desire. He didn't come to earth like, oh, those men, I'm going to go down there. We're going to whoop them. I'm going to get up. How dare they use my name in vain? Right? Like we would. And like we've got the right. <laughs> we've got the right. To, oh, you're, you're just such a bad sinner. Well, you are too. See, Jesus didn't do that. He, he had the right to condemn, but he didn't condemn because he didn't come to condemn. He came to give life. <laughs> so, If you think you can condemn, understand that you can't condemn because condemnation has been taken away out of your hands. But what you can do is give life. You've got that right. He says, now ye are the light of the world. I was the light of the world. I'm going to heaven. Now you are a replacement. You're a substitute for me on earth. Did Jesus condemn when he was on earth? Then why do you condemn? He came to give life. Do you give life? When you're dealing with people, is it about giving them their life back? Is it about having such a burning desire in your heart to help that family, that you do whatever you can to help them and to make sure their children don't get hurt in the process and to help that wife that's been hurting deeply and to help that man that has failed because of maybe things he's gone through in his life and didn't know how to handle all the things around him and made a mistake. You're going to condemn Pick up your stone. And if you have never sinned, you go ahead and throw it. Amen. I'll tell you what I've found more than anything in the Christian life is that we tend to judge the things that we're guilty of. We we are so sensitive to the sin that we do that we judge others in that sin. Because we're somehow trying to prove that we're not as bad as that person in the same sin that I have. You understand? We're bad. (laughs) We're bad. Folks, we are really bad in our hearts. Think about it. Think of the things you said. The things you've done to people. And just really evaluate this fact and be honest about this. We've done some very bad things. So when you want to pick up the stone and throw it, you better first look at this guy. Amen. And then think of that guy who had every right to condemn, but didn't even condemn one time. Even when they put him on the cross, 
drove the nails in the hand, spit on him, smote him, did things to him that you will never probably have to worry about for yourself, and yet he never condemned them. Father, forgive them. Amen? (laughs) Wow. Then it says, after he told them, hey, if you're you're sinless, go ahead. (laughs) Can you imagine? Jesus was very confident here. (laughs) They're saying, what should we do? He says, well, this is what you guys are going to do. If you've never sinned, I want you to throw the first stone. And this is what he does. He stoops down again. He doesn't sit there and wait and say, oh, I've got to stop them if they actually listen. He didn't do that. He actually turned himself away from there, no attention to them, and started once again writing in the dirt. This is you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> do you understand? In other words, he was so sure of what was going to happen when they honestly evaluated their own heart, he knew not one of them would be able to throw the stone. Now, we would have said, well, if any of you, uh, well, whoever has not committed adultery can throw the first stone. That's not what he said. He said, whoever has not sinned, Whoever has not sinned, throw the first stone. It has nothing to do with the adultery. <laughs> now, maybe some of these guys were guilty of adultery. I'm sure there was in that group. But I don't think all of them were. But yet they were still convicted in their heart. Honest evaluation. The next point I want to talk about is the conviction of the conscience. Verse 9, it says, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Convicted. The word convicted means to prove one in the wrong and thus to shame. And so being in, under conviction is actually, pro- something is proving you wrong in that thing. And it's bringing shame on you. That's conviction. So conviction always has shame. And the conscience, this definition that I found, one's own conscience is coming forward as a witness. You've got an inner witness. See, that conscience, you didn't make that. (laughs) That God made. The Bible said that he lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So every man was given a conscience. And the Lord says, I know how depraved you are. In fact, if the Lord wouldn't have given us a conscience, we would have all probably turned to homosexuality within the first five years of our life. That's how depraved and reprobate we would be. Do you understand that? Because that's a result of being reprobate, where the Lord lifts himself off of the person and gives them over to reprobate mind, you see in Romans chapter 1. And I know that's not very politically correct, but it's truth. I mean, it's just Bible. (laughs) Amen? But he says, I don't want that to happen because they're so cursed. These people are so cursed that if I don't do something as they go into the world, as they are born, they will immediately be reprobate. And so the Bible says, he lighteth every man. So he puts a little light. The little witness. That little witness he puts in you. I think it coincides with the Holy Spirit of God because the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit uh, having a ministry even to the lost. How that convinces you of sin and judgment. And so I think the Holy Spirit of God actually works on lost people. And has that ability to help them see their sin, what's right and wrong. You can have people that are born in the jungle and you find them and they have a semblance of what's right and wrong. They have laws. That's because of the conscience. And so the conscience is a witness in ourselves. Romans 2.15 says, it says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another. That's why many times you meditate and say, okay, what did I just do? Is that, was that the right thing? Did I just do the right thing? And you start to evaluate 
your own heart and say, now, did I say that right? Did I do that right? Was my motive right? And your conscience, that little light that God put inside you, that little witness is going to stand up. Uh, can I tell you something? <laughs> He's, Shut up! <laughs> I'm not asking you. <laughs> Well, if you're asking your corrupt mind, you know, he's not going to give you the right answer. So the witness stands up. And it either accuses you or it excuses you. And the Lord knew because he's the one that created that light. And the Bible says Jesus, think about this. Jesus was dealing with an adulterous woman. The Pharisees come in. The Bible says that Jesus, the light, is the person that lighted every man that cometh into the world. So think about this. He's looking at these guys. He says, I put your conscience in you. I created it in you. So when he said, those that are without sin, you'd be the first one to cast a stone, he didn't have to look at them. He didn't have to watch and make sure that they really don't throw the stone. <laughs> Amen. He bowed down. He says, I know what I make. And what I make is good amen it's good it'll work it'll function it's going to accuse him there's not one of those boys going to throw a stone he knew it because he created it amen the conviction started with the eldest and they went out one by one beginning at the eldest even unto the last why the eldest because i'll tell you something <laughs> when i was young i would do stupid stuff and it wouldn't bother me as much, and uh, not only that, I never saw really the effect of a lot of decisions I made. Later on when I'm older, now I look at every decision I make as a potential to really cause problems, amen? So you become more sensitive even to your own sinfulness. So these old timers are listening to him, they immediately got it. They were in tune with where they were at. The younger guys, you know, like, it took a while for it to kick in. But the old folks, they got it. From the eldest to the youngest, they started to walk out. <laughs> and then the youngest look at the eldest, and where's he going? And they oh, well, if he's going, <laughs> then maybe I should go too, because now if I throw the stone, I mean, I'm saying... I don't have sin when the eldest just walked out and said that he did. They were all admitting they were sinners by leaving. What a powerful statement. Jesus knew it. He says, if you guys leave right now, you're admitting you're a sinner. <laughs> These perfect Pharisees, <laughs> whited sepulchers. Boy, he had them. He just... Bam, bam, he knew it. I'm God, you're not. This is what you are. You are dirt. You are dirt. Get that? Jesus stayed with the woman when all the accusers were gone because the accusers have to leave for Jesus to really do a work in somebody's life. You, the accuser, have to go. We got to get the accusers out. Those that just want to hurt people and just want to attack people, and those are extortioners and those revilers and those people who just want to put people down. In order to truly have freedom to do something in this person's heart, the accusers have to go. And that's why he said to her, Where are those thine accusers? Where are your accusers? <laughs> She had to come to the conclusion in her whole mind, there are no accusations. The accusers are gone. It's no longer about defending myself. It's no longer about pretending I'm good, bad, or whatever. I just know we're all bad. These guys walked out. They just admitted they're all sinners. I just committed adultery. I'm a sinner. Jesus is the only one that wasn't a sinner. <laughs> Amen. He's the only one that stayed. And he's the only one that could have thrown a stone. And he didn't. But he stayed. Why did he stay with this woman? <laughs> Guilty of adultery. I'll tell you why. He loved her. 
He loved her. No condemnation. No accusations. He loved her. I got a verse here. Hopefully I put it in here. I'll be done. I'm just looking. There it is. Romans 8, verse 32. It says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. He's praying for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. <laughs> this woman was ready to be condemned, stoned to death. And Jesus looked at her. And, and this is what he says. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to pull it up here. He says, where are thine accusers? Does, do, are any, is anybody accusing you? And she says, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Now, this is the one that could. This is the one that could pick up a stone. And he made a choice. No, I'm not going to condemn you. But he did say, go and sin no more. See, you want to know our place in this whole thing, in our local church. Now, you can pick people apart, criticize. You can call them down. You can pick out their sin and call them bad. Folks, I understand. Sometimes people rub you the wrong way and you begin to look down on them. Now, this is what's going to happen. If you continue to look down on them, you will start condemning them. But I'll tell you this. If you look at that person and look a little bit further and you can see it through his eyes and if you can just say, I love that person, you will never pick up a stone. Never. Never. It's only when you're angry. It's only when you are battling in your life. It's only when you look down on somebody. Oh, that guy or that lady. Oh, I just don't like them. Be careful. What we need to do is look at this church and everybody in it, everybody. And you look at that person that maybe you don't like very much. And this is what you need to do. You say, Lord, you love me and I'm just as bad. Help me to love them. Help me to love them. Just recently I've been asking for a love for people that that other people condemn because maybe they're, they're worse than you in their actions. I want to love that person. You go pick up your stones. I'm not going to do it. If Jesus didn't, I'm not going to do it. And I want to be like him. But this is what I'll tell you something. If you begin to, har to, to harbor that resentment, you begin to harbor that anger towards somebody, you will, I guarantee it, you will pick up a stone. You will. The only way to escape that type of thing is to truly love the person. Otherwise, you will always pick up a stone. Every time. And when you want to pick up that stone, you just remember that there is one that justified you so no man can accuse you before God. And through his love, you became a conqueror. You're a, you're a victor. Victory in Christ. If that's who I am, what kind of testimony am I bringing to people? 
when I'm throwing stones. Amen. It's not right. <laughs> Jesus is teaching us something here. He said, I'm not here to hurt people. Now, sometimes you've got to deal with people. You've got to be firm. Why are you doing it? Why are you dealing with them? You've got to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Write it down if you have to. <laughs> because you need to honestly evaluate your heart. Because if you're doing it for any other reason to love and protect them and others, you've got no business going near them. That's Jesus' words. Amen? That's Christ. I think he'd be pleased with a church today that even if there's sin, it happens. You think that we're going to go through this life together and people aren't going to sin in our congregation? You may not just have sin, you may have grievous sin take place. You need to make up your mind what kind of Christian you're going to be. Because everybody will know what kind of Christian you are by what you do. Amen? I hope this has helped you understand a little bit how that we need as a church to approach one another. I hope if I have sinned, that you're not going to throw a stone at me. That you're going to love me, you're going to protect me. If, so, if you would sin, I would want to protect you and love you. Now, if you have a problem with love, that's your problem. Well, how can you love that? No, no. Love has nothing to do with the other person. It has to do with you. You can love them. Jesus looked at us, but God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were good Baptists, <laughs> amen. We were dirty, rotten scoundrels on drugs, using his name in vain, uh, talking down at people, cursing and being a fool. That's where I love you, he says. Amen. So love isn't about the object. <laughs> love is about the heart extending it. And that's your choice. That's your choice. Amen. I have more.